Please go to Genesis chapter 31, Genesis chapter 31, and I want to continue looking at the awful subject of idolatry. It's the main scourge, it's the main sin in both testaments, and you'd be surprised how many times it reappears to warn people not to fall foul of the Lord, not to create a God in one's own image. Genesis 31, 31, And Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Peradventure thou wouldest take by force, Thy daughters from me, going back to the Rachel and Leah incident. And last night I sat down just to double check whether or not Leah and Rachel are found in Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm surprised and saddened to say that they are not. Rachel is found once in the New Testament, being uh, Matthew uh, chapter 2, from memory, which of course deals with the massacre of the children in Bethlehem. And Jeremiah speaks about Rachel, but of course Jeremiah speaks about Rachel as a type of Israel like the mother of Israel, and he's writing about Rachel much later down the line. So I just wonder whether or not Leah and Rachel were even saved. It could be, if you think about it, going back to what I said last Sunday, standing in state, your standing in Christ is one thing, your state is something completely different. But here, Jacob is fearful of Laban. He's been with him for, what, 14 years? He's worked day and night to secure the hands of both of his daughters he wanted Rachel of course but he got stuck with Leah and now he's on the move he's been a slave to some extent and that's why he says I was afraid for I said peradventure thou wouldest take by force thy daughters from me but look at verse 32 with whomsoever thou findest thy gods let him not live before our brethren discern thou what is thine with me and take it to thee for Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them so from the ancient world, pre the law, post the law, and this sin of idolatry is trans-testimonial, it covers both testaments, it is out, it is wicked, it is, it is deplorable. And here this has taken place before the law, and Jacob is first of all of the mind that his wives and their two maidservants are guilt-free of the sin of idolatry. He had no idea what his favourite wife was really capable of. In fact, there was a story in the papers this morning concerning the Gatwick incidents and one of the fathers of the man in question who's been arrested said I couldn't believe and I don't believe my son would do such a thing people have no idea what their kids would do I mean here you've got Jacob convinced that his wife wouldn't be responsible for this gross sin and as he continues on down the line with whomsoever thou findest thy gods let him not live let him not live he doesn't say let them not live or let her not live he is convinced that the gods, the idols, the statues, the relics haven't been stolen by one of his wives or their female maids, but maybe by a man. Perhaps one of Laban's colleagues, relatives. And this goes back to the shock, the dismissal by so many people that, well, my son would never do this, or my daughter would never do this, or my husband would never do that, or my wife would never do that. Your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter could do anything that anybody could do. Many times you don't know your own family very well, do you? And here Laban is angry, Jacob is fearful and shocked. With whomsoever thou findest thy gods, thy gods, thy statues, thy images, thy relics, thy paintings, thy statues, let him not live. Because like I said last week, nine out of the ten commandments, that's nine out of the ten commandments, resulted in the death penalty. And here Jacob is blinded. He's blinded by love. He loves Rachel. With whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him, and in the context, Rachel, not live. And later on, as she's given birth to Benjamin, she would die. 
Before our brethren, discern thou what is thine with me. In other words, let's decide this in the presence of others. I think Jacob was of the belief that one of Laban's male colleagues or staff or hired helpers had perhaps stolen the images in question. Take it to thee, for Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. He had no idea what was going on. Going back to the Gatwick incident this week, drones flying over Gatwick. And like I say, the father of one of the victims, or the father of one of the culprits, allegedly, is telling the papers, the press, that his son would never do such a thing. I can't believe it, he says. Well, you better believe it, buddy. You better believe it. I've read so many accounts over the years. I've seen so many documentaries. I've watched so many programs over the years of serial killers, rapists, murderers, pedophiles, etc., 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 and interview their loved ones. It's the same old story. Well, I still don't think my son did it. I still don't think my daughter did it. I think it's a conspiracy or a fit-up. And here Jacob was perhaps in denial, that's more likely in denial, that his beloved wife would do such a wicked thing. But he says, let him die. And in the context, this will fall to Rachel. And like I say, as she's given birth to her son, she dies because the sin of idolatry is so wicked. It's so abhorrent. Go back to Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. And... The Church of Rome like to play around with the Ten Commandments because they have a problem. They have a grievous sin when it comes to statues, images, idols, so on and so forth. And they like to remove the Second Commandment. 20 verse 1, And God spake all these words, saying, Not one word was left out. By your word you will be justified. By your word you will be condemned. I am the Lord thy God in the present tense, Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. There is no other God beside me which have brought the outs of the land of Egypt, outs of the house of bondage. And last week I spoke briefly about the Berlin airdrop when allies were dropping food supplies. And at that time, that was the greatest airdrop that has ever taken place. That was an amazing thing to read about and to study as a lay historian. But you wait till the rapture comes. You wait till we are rescued from the house of bondage. Again, going back to state and standing, standing in states. I don't know if Leah or Rachel were saved. I know one thing that if they were saved... They would have had to have answered for their sins. Leah was superstitious. Rachel was an idolater. And here, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. In other words, it's all down to me. If it hadn't been down to me, you'd all be making brick with straw. You'd be building treasure houses for Pharaoh forever. Look at verse 3 again. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. Verse 4, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So again, anything in heaven is out, anything on earth is out, anything in the sea is out. And yet time after time, famous painters, portraits have been penned and painted by, well, Leonardo uh, da Vinci, uh, Picasso, Holman Hunt, Peter Ruckman, uh, Jack Chick. And they're the ones that we know of. A lot of not-so-well-known people have painted statues, images of the Lord God. Dangerous, dangerous thing to do. And around this time every year, as people are getting ready to celebrate Christmas, you've got the nativity scenes in churches and in towns. You've got the trees going up. You've got the decoration all over the place. You've got people coming together. You've got presents under the tree. You've got people getting excited. You've got people kissing under the mistletoe. I mean, it's a big custom. It's a big feast. And one of the reasons why it's so popular is because so many people have turned their backs on the Lord Jesus Christ. And people have to believe in something. People have to believe in someone. 
We are made to be spiritual. We are made to recognize a higher power, a higher being. And if you substitute Jesus, you become a spiritual person, so-called. A superstitious person, like Leah. Leah was superstitious. Rachel was superstitious. But here it's a threefold prohibition. Verse 5, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. Talk about that in a few more minutes. Nor serve them. Why not? For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. That makes sense to everyone and anyone. If you are a husband or a wife, a father or a mother, or if you're close to your grandparents or your grandchildren, you know what that means to be jealous. It means just that, jealous, godly jealousy. Paul would say this from 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Go back to Exodus chapter 20. So therefore, because the Lord is a jealous God, he wants no association, he wants no affiliation, he wants nothing to do with his people in the context Jews, worshipping him in a vain way, like via Father Christmas, or via the Pope of Rome, or via your local parish priest, or via the Virgin Mary, St. Christopher, St. Jude, etc., etc., etc. And as a result, comma, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So idolatry takes place because people hate God. It's hard to believe, isn't it? You've got people all over the world getting ready to celebrate Christmas and they will claim, if they are Catholic or Greek or Russian Orthodox, that they love the Lord. You won't get many Catholics, Greek or Russian Orthodox getting up and saying they hate the Lord. But by their deeds, by their actions, they hate the Lord. Semicolon, and showing mercy, this is positive, unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Go to Leviticus 26. Jesus would say, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not to get saved, not to uh, stay saved, but because you are saved. Leviticus chapter 26. Look at verse 1, if you will. Ye shall make you no idols, nor graven image. Neither rear you up a standing image, like a Christmas tree. It's a standing image, isn't it? It stands up. Nebuchadnezzar had a statue, pretty large. The false prophet and the beast in Revelation are going to create an image of some kind. And all the world are going to be forced to worship it. Neither shall you set up any graven stone in your land to bow down unto it. For I am the Lord your God. And yet time after time, people do just that. They say they love the Lord. They say they believe on the Lord. And then turn around and create a statue. Create an image of some kind. But you might say this to me. Well, James, this is the Old Testament. I'm not too concerned about being an idolater. Well, keep your hand there and go to uh, two passages in the New Testament. Let's start in uh, Luke chapter 16. Luke uh, chapter 16. Always scripture with scripture. Luke chapter 16. Look at verse 13. Jesus speaking. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot worship the Lord in spirits and in truth and then turn around and flock to your local Christmas tree, for example. Or have a statue of Mary up all year round or a statue of Jesus. A lot of Protestants have got statues of Jesus up as well. It's not just Catholics. This is the problem. When I first got saved nearly 17 years ago, I was shocked to see how many Protestant churches have got Christmas trees up, first of all. I know John MacArthur celebrates Christmas with a tree. That surprised me. And so did the late Peter Rutman. That surprised me. 20 foot. But on top of that, I was also shocked, going back 17 years, to see statues of Jesus in churches, conservative churches in Britain, but mainly in America. I thought, what is going on here? Haven't you left all that behind? 
Obviously not. And some of these churches are run by former Catholics as well. It's not acceptable. Look at 14. And the Pharisees also, who are covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. Of course, coveting is lusting. Lusting is coveting. Go to Colossians. Let's get into the Pauline epistles. I appreciate that the Old Testament is a neglected parts of the Bible. Uh, most Christians don't spend much time reading the Old Testament. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. But how about the New Testament? How about the Pauline epistles? We can't neglect these, can we? Uh, Colossians 3.5. Colossians 3.5. Mortify therefore your members. Did you get that? Mortify therefore your members which upon the earth. Going back to standing in state. Going back to Rachel and Leah. If they were saved, they were carnal. Paul speaks about Christians that are weak, sickly, and are dead, basically. And later on in the New Testament, the term, the sin unto death, is mentioned because many Christians who sin and continue to sin, and yes, Christians do sin, if they don't repent of their perpetual sinning, are either sick, like physically sick, are sleeping, like dead, or they are weak, like incapable, unable to do what they should do because they are bogged down with sin. And as a result, like I say, the sin unto death comes along and the Lord just kills them. Two natures in the believer you see. And that's why Paul tells you, Mortify therefore your members, which upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, lusting, which is idolatry. You lust after someone, do you? Or something? Are you thinking about someone or something? If you are thinking about someone or something perpetually, you are guilty of idolatry. For which thing's sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, unsaved people, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them, speaking about before you were saved, but now ye also put off these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. And that will feed into, probably a week after next, not taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And this continues to build, dealing with what you should or should not do. But again, covetousness, being lusting, desiring someone or something, says you are, or as a result of this, you are guilty of idolatry. Go to Numbers 25. Numbers 25. Numbers 25. And I think one of the reasons why so many people, so many Protestants, so many of the Lordship Salvation people, it could be Ray Comfort, it could be Paul Washer, it could be James White, it could be Todd Friel, it could be John MacArthur, it could be any of those guys, are so anti the old nature and never speak about the old nature is because he got saved when they were very young. I think some of those guys were raised in Christian families, never had jobs, never lived in the real world, never experienced sin. But how can you relate to such people who got saved in their 20s, their 30s or their 40s? How about people who have been in and out of prison and got saved? How can you relate to those people? You can't, can you? And they come down very hard against the old nature. They neglect the old nature. And when someone like myself comes along and tries to deal with these complicated uh, subjects concerning sin and why do Christians still sin, and we do sin, John says if we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Why would that be the case if we don't sin? Just because Paul told you, However, any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? All that tells you is that you're now saved. You're now a child of God. You've gone from knowing of him to knowing him personally. But you're still the same person, aren't you? 
Before you got saved, did you like coffee? Did you like tea? Do you still like tea? Do you still like coffee? I bet you do. How about Italian food or Indian food or Korean food? Do you still like that type of food? I bet you do. You haven't changed, have you? You've adopted a new nature. You become, if you want, or you've been blessed with an additional seed. Or it's like this. If you think of a bicycle, and I used to have a bicycle before I was saved and even after I got saved. Haven't been on a bike for some years now, but it's like this. You get a bicycle, you've got two tires, you've got two wheels. And you buy the bicycle and it's flat, isn't it? When you first buy it, it's flat. And you take it home and you assemble it and you pump up the tires. Now, if I was to say to you this, well, that bike or those tires will never be flat. You never get a flat. So you'd laugh in my face. You say, but James, where I live, there's glass all over the place. There's bricks all over the place. You know, broken bricks, stones, grit, gravel, so on and so forth. And I am concerned, I am convinced as I cycle around my town that I'm going to go over glass and get a flat tire or get over or drive over some brick or screws, uh, nails. They're always very dangerous, nails. And you know as well as I do, if you are a cyclist, that you go over one of those objects, a nail, a stone or a screw, glass, brick, etc., etc., etc. You're going to get a flat, right? There's a picture of your salvation. Before you were saved, you were a flat tire. You got saved, the Lord blew you up, as it were, put his spirit into you, gave you a new spirit. He breathed into you in a spiritual sense, like you would do with Adam back in Genesis. And now you are a full inflated tire, or as Paul would say, a vessel, a holy vessel. But do you mean to tell me that you can't become flat? You can't grieve the Holy Ghost? You can't quench the Holy Ghost? You can't blaspheme the Holy Ghost? Of course you can. Why do you kid yourself? Uh, Numbers 25, Numbers 25, look at verse 1. And Israel abode in Shittim, and all the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. This is a double application, which I won't go into deep this morning, but you've got sexual sins, you've got spiritual sins. Going back to what uh, John, tell, uh, John speaks about from the book of Revelation. He speaks about Jezebel, and he speaks about committing whoredom, adultery with such people. And they call the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bow down to their gods. You think of the ecumenical services that will be taking place all over the world over the next few days. You've got Catholics meeting up with Jews, Hindus, Muslims. Look at the earthquake, make that tsunami that took place in Indonesia overnight. In Sumatra, Java, hundreds dead. That number's going to go up and up and up and up. And you know who's going to come to their aid? The West. Britain, Australia, Canada, America. The so-called non-Islamic countries, they will send millions of pounds, dollars, euros to that country, being the largest, India, the largest Islamic country on the face of the earth. It's never the Islamic countries, have you noticed, that rush aid to their Islamic brethren. It's always former Christian countries. And here you've got the people of Israel being historically the people of God, sacrificing to their gods, lowercase g, and the people that eat and bow down to their gods. That's shameful. It's embarrassing. You've got Christian vicars, allegedly, Christian priests, allegedly, Christian pastors, allegedly, teaming up with Muslims, Jews, Hindus, Sikhs, around this time of the year, especially, having their ecumenical services, their carols, midnight mass, etc., 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 and God hates it. Paul told you not to be yoked with unsaved people, don't be unequally yoked with unsaved people, and yet what do we do? We do just that, don't we? We hang around with unsaved people. We pray with unsaved people. How about that? We pray with them. We should be praying for them. But we don't. We pray with them. 
And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Well, of course it was. How would you feel if your daughter was hanging around with dubious people, or your son was hanging around with dubious people? How would you feel about that? Would it bother you? Would it bother you? I heard a story some years ago of a well-known pastor in America, and he got news that his granddaughter was hanging around in a slum area in America, and she was hanging around with some pimps and prostitutes, and this pastor, a well-known pastor, took a couple of his deacons downtown with their guns, shotguns. This is back in the 30s. And they went downtown, and he got the pastor, his two deacons, all tore up, as we say, carrying their shotguns, walking around this part of Chicago, perhaps. Where's my granddaughter? Where is she? And word got around pretty quickly. He got three guys turning up with shooters, and they found uh, the granddaughter. He, gra- he, he dragged her out of this slum, and one of her pimps got a bit uh, larry. So one of the deacons got his gun out and said, you want a bit of this? This is how these people speak. But MacArthur wouldn't understand that. James White wouldn't understand this. Ray Comfort wouldn't understand that kind of a language. But that's how these guys speak. D.L. Moody was very crude. Gypsy Smith. Peter Ruttman. There was a story this week of a well-known preacher in this country. I won't name him. He's in trouble. Legal trouble. He's being sued by an organisation. I won't go into details. It's a live case. He's being sued. He's being prosecuted. What he says. What he does. I know this guy. I've met him several times over the years. I think he's saved. But I know that the Lordship Salvation people wouldn't believe that. They'd say he couldn't possibly do that. A wonderful man of God couldn't possibly cuss or curse. Well, Simon Peter did. A wonderful man of God wouldn't possibly argue with the Lord or be offensive or abusive. Peter was three times. End of Matthew, Acts 15, Galatians chapter 2. These people don't read their Bibles. And some of the terms that this British preacher, he's actually American, but he lives in the UK, some of the terms that he uses has offended these Pharisees. They can't believe that he would use such language. But it's in the Old Testament, time after time. Verse 4. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people, and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. String them up. That's what he's saying. String them up. Get the shooters out. Go around, find the granddaughter, bring her back safe to home. But again, most Christians don't read the Old Testament. Most saved people just read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, never go into the Pauline epistles either. And rarely if ever study the book of Revelation. One of the criticisms about John Calvin especially was how he would neglect prophecy. Most of the reformers would neglect prophecy and are, as a result, post-millennial, amillennial. They think that things are going to get better. Things are going to get worse, a lot worse. And here the Lord is furious concerning verses 1, 2, and 3, concerning idolatry. And here he wants the heads of these people, those that are responsible, the ringleaders of such people, to be hanged. So on and so forth. Verse 5. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. Slay them all. Kill them all. Now today, thankfully, we don't have to kill people. We should never... Uh, resort to violence if you are a christian and and somebody wants to attack you physically for being a christian turn the other cheek take a smack take a slap take a punch turn the other cheek don't get into a fist fight but we're back in the old testament now this is a theocracy and muhammad came along and he said this well let's try and revive the old testament let's try and create a new religion let's try and go back to the good old days of course muhammad was illiterate i'm sure you all know that And therefore he was very much in need of his wives and concubines to help him out and his male and female lieutenants. And they would say, well, Muhammad, did you know this? Did you know that? And of course, that is what we call Chinese whispers. 
You can't go by Chinese whispers or telephone, as they, as they call it in America. You need the word of God to read it and check it out. Otherwise, you create heresy within heresy, going back to the John MacArthur and Ben Shapiro interview. Painful to watch. And Shapiro was saying, in essence, well, I got the Talmud and the Tanakh, and when the two clash, and of course they do, I go to the rabbis. And that's what the Jews did in the days of Jesus. They went to the rabbis. What does Rabbi such and such say? Well, Rabbi such and such says this. Well, how about Rabbi such and such? Well, he says this. And Jesus arrives and says, forget those guys. I'm telling you this. And he really set the ball game. I mean, he really set, he, he, he reset the whole thing. He raised the bar so high. And of course, they hated him for that. Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that would join unto Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. What a stupid thing to do. The Lord is about to kill thousands and this guy breezes in with his Midianitish woman, a Gentile obviously, and he does so in the sight of everybody. Going back to that wonderful quote from Ian Paisley, another controversial Calvinist, who said this. He said, if you sin in public, you repent in public. That's a good one. But who repents now? Who repents now in public? Donald Trump was interviewed a couple of years ago about repentance. And he said this, why do I need to repent? Why do I need to be sorry for anything? I've done nothing wrong. And yet he's adored all over the world for being this great Christian man. Not being a great president, a great politician, which he may be. But a great Christian man? I don't think so. And when Phineas, verse 7, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. This, they say this is so bloody. They say this is an awful book. They say this book is a graphic book. And yet you killed, what, 6 million babies since 1967? 20 million in America? Since 1970. Isn't that bloody? Isn't that graphic? Oh, that's okay, they say. That's a woman's choice. But to get to the Bible, it's offensive. And I remember reading some years ago how the Bible is banned in nine countries. Nine countries? And yet those countries have got chemical weapons. they got nuclear weapons. They'll whip you. They will beat you if you're found with a Bible. And they call us barbaric. They call us wicked. Because this is what God is all about. And those that died in the plague were 24,000. 24,000. One man and one woman indirectly caused the death of 24,000 people due to the sin of idolatry. And I'll tell you something. I don't think one of those people was saved. Going back to how a mixed multitude came out of Egypt. It wasn't just a group of Jews. You've got Gentiles as well following Moses and Aaron and Miriam out of Egypt and yet you've got this huge sin in the camp taking place this mixed multitude evil communication corrupts good manners pick your friends very carefully because if you don't they will destroy you they will corrupt you you know it's very rare to corrupt a bad person but it's easy for a bad person to corrupt a good person I don't know how many times I've read about this over the years of a couple getting together and you've got an unsaved man marrying a saved woman or turn it around let's be politically correct an unsaved woman marrying a saved man and within five or six minutes the marriage goes south and the saved party the good party if you will goes bad goes wrong it's easy isn't it to corrupt somebody who's good you try and corrupt somebody who's bad or you try and turn someone you try and get somebody who's bad to become good 
it doesn't happen, does it? Because the pressure from the unsaved party is so strong. The pull from the world is so strong. Going back to the bicycle analogy. The tyres are flat, you pump them up, you cycle around, get a couple of flats, and you repair the puncture, so on and so forth, or standing in state. It was easy for Leah, it was easy for Rachel to follow the other women, because they were all doing it. Look at Lot. It says how he was vexed day and night. Look at his wife, look at his daughters. He says, guess what, people? These angels just come into the camp, and they tell me that Almighty God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, pack your bags and just get out of here. They thought he was joking. They thought he was mocking, having a joke. You say, why would that be the case? Because he was carnal. Lost his testimony. But here, they join the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. Verse 2, people that eat, bow down to their gods. Verse 4, the Lord said unto Moses, take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun. Capital punishments. That the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. Kill them. Kill him, kill him, kill him. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses. Why would you do that? Why would you do this? The plague has begun. People are dropping like flies. And this guy thinks that he's going to please his peers. And in the sights of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Well, of course, people are dying left, right and centre. And this guy just breezes in. Hey, everybody, look at my new wife. Isn't she beautiful? Phineas, the son of Aaron, and also the son of Eliezer, saw it rose up, got a javelin in his hand. He sees what is going to take place concerning the plague, concerning sin. He's moving. This guy is moving. Went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly with a spear of some kind. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were 20 and 4,000. Almighty God stepped in. And just wiped out 24,000. Go to Numbers 33. Numbers 33. Numbers 33. This is a trans-testimonial sin. It's prohibited in both testaments. God will give you slack. He will cut you slack. He will be gracious concerning certain things that you do. When it comes to idolatry, look out. Numbers 33.50 And the Lord spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when ye are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, and destroy all their pictures, and destroy all their molten images, and quit, pluck down all their high places, and ye shall dispose the inhabitants of the land, and dwell therein, for I have given you the land to possess it. Go into the land, kick them out, kill them, destroy their pictures, their images, their idols, their statues, etc., 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 and yet the Church of Rome is loaded with statues, images, idols. Most Protestant churches are just as bad. The Greeks and the Orthodox are just as bad. And as a result, they hate the Lord. And as a result, if they don't quit it, they're going to perish. That's why so many Catholics are going to go to hell. 54. And ye shall divide the land by lot for an inheritance among your families. And to the more ye shall give the more inheritance, and to the fewer ye shall give the less inheritance. Every man's inheritance shall be in the place where his lot falleth. According to the tribes of your fathers, ye shall inherit. I am the Lord thy God. I created heaven and earth. Going back to the first and second commandments. This all belongs to me anyway. I'm the landlord of the earth, of the solar systems. All of the angels are in submission to me. I order the angels to bow down to my son. And yet Muhammad said that how the angels were to bow down to Adam. No, angels don't bow down to Adam. 
Mormons say that Adam was deity. No, Adam was a created being. Jesus Christ was begotten. Going back to Chinese whispers, going back to telephone. But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which ye let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and shall vex you in the land wherein ye dwell. Kick them out, deal with them before they deal with you, before they corrupt you. Moreover, it shall come to pass that I shall do unto you as I thought to do unto them. So I'll hold it there for now. I'm not through with the sin of idolatry. I know this is going to run for several Sundays, and it's worth taking our time looking at the sin of idolatry, going back to standing in state, going back to the two natures of the believer. And I appreciate, again, that for some Christians, they struggle to understand why Christians do what they do. A lot of born-again Bible believers are of the belief that once they get saved, that they won't sin, and it's impossible to sin. And yet, if that's the case, why would Paul tell you time after time uh, to be careful how you live? Why would he tell you, or why would John tell you to confess your sins? And above all, why would uh, the Word of God speak about uh, losing your millennial inheritance, crowns and rewards, if you couldn't sin? Obviously, you can sin, and I hope you don't sin. And if you do sin, you need to stop sinning. You need to confess your sins to the Lord. You need to get a victory over your sins you need to overcome your taste for sin i know sin is like junk food it's very nice isn't it you like junk food going back to idolatry if you lust after someone or something you are guilty of idolatry it doesn't have to be a statue or an image or a relic or a picture or an image it doesn't have to be any of those things it could be a tree it could be a person it could be sex it could be food it could be money it could be cards it could be properties it could be neighborhoods it could be schools it could be teachers it could be a good job a nice car, etc., 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 and as a result of perpetually lusting after such, you are now guilty of idolatry. And if you don't quit it, you will lose your millennial inheritance. And next week we'll discuss this in more depth.